where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Kate. I'm feeling a little under the weather today, uh, but for moral support, I've brought in my friend and colleague, Kendall. And Kendall, the more that you speak, the less the audience will have to listen to me clear my throat. So for their sake, (laughs) might you please introduce yourself? Absolutely. And I'm really sorry you're not feeling good today. Hey, I am. And I'll try and talk uh, and try and not put all your audience to sleep as well. Um, So, yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Kendall Bond. Um, I'll give you a bit of an introduction about myself. I am based in the UK, in Brighton, which is on the South Coast. And um, professionally, I am a behavioural psychologist. And I work one-to-one with people who have lots of uh, mental health conditions, such as anxiety, such as depression, substance misuse, various different complex needs. And I also deliver a lot of supervision and training in things like cognitive behavioral therapy, mindfulness-based therapy, MI, um, trauma-informed practice. And... Yeah, I started out as a midwife and I always wanted to be a midwife when I was at school. That was my dream, be a midwife, be a midwife. Finally became a midwife, which was amazing. And then I got diagnosed with a long-term health disease, which meant that then I was unsafe really to practice more for myself than for the women I was working with. Um, And what that meant was I had a choice. I leave midwifery and, you know, don't do anything or I decide what was the best thing about midwifery and I take that forward and so I had specialized in midwifery about working with mums and families with addiction and so I decided to go into psychology and became a behavioral psychologist from there um yeah so that's what I do I'm the clinical director of the national center for behavior change which sounds very fancy and it is but I I love it and I've been doing it now for 16 years. Um, and yeah, and so me personally, I love animals. Talk to me about animals all day long. Mm-hmm. Giraffes, dogs and pandas. That's it. You've got me. Penguins are up there too. Mm-hmm. I love food. Cheese, as you know, cheese is, is my thing. Cheese and coffee, just happy days. And I absolutely love traveling. And, you know, as of COVID, I was in the clinically extremely vulnerable group in the UK, which meant that I was fully shielding for two years. Uh, So my first trip will be to Chicago to see the motivational interviewing peeps in October. And I will be one of them. So yeah, big cuddles. How lucky am I? Yeah, big cuddles, assuming I'm feeling better by then. Well, and me too. It's always touch and go whether I can ever actually go out because of my health problems. So it's you have to play everything, hold everything lightly. That's my motto. Yeah, well said. I don't know why we haven't done this sooner, the podcast. Like, you belong on this podcast. Why have you been avoiding us? <laughs> Anxiety. That's why. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
you know, it's one of those things, isn't it, where you have imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and all of the people that you've interviewed on your podcast, I absolutely have so much respect and, you know, I'm so in awe of that I never would have thought that I belong on this uh, platform with you, people like yourself, incredibly wise and intelligent. And oh, stop. Why. Oh, stop. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the part that, I mean, everyone's listening right now, but the part they're missing is how we spent five minutes on the Zoom cameras playing with wild hair and making each other laugh with just funny hairdos. <laughs> but uh, let, let's let them all believe we are just very intelligent, respectable professionals yeah and we yeah. did not just do funny hairdos in the camera for a little while <laughs> I mean we did not we absolutely did not do that at all I'm terrible I get I get overexcited sometimes and just do the most ridiculous things during sessions during training <laughs> um I, I I'm not adverse to showing my wild hair in training times well the podcast audience is just gonna have to take our word for it that we both had wild hair for a little while Um, but you know, when I asked you, why have you been avoiding us? You said anxiety and (laughs) that is actually why we ultimately did connect for this podcast. Um, I had decided to dedicate some podcast time to anxiety and, you know, it's a topic I've been thinking about for a long time. And it's funny. I kept putting it off because I wanted to make sure I could do it well and do it justice. And then I realized the irony that I was so worried about it not being perfect, that I was avoiding doing it. And that's when I had a good laugh at myself and decided (laughs) to make it happen. Um, You work with people who are living with anxiety. uh, And so you spend a lot of time with people who know a lot about this because they're living it. I, I want you to imagine though, a lot of folks listening right now are not living with anxiety. They may know people who are, But a lot of our listeners are probably tuning in thinking, oh, yeah, I have a friend who goes through that or my mom goes through that or my spouse. And they might be thinking, how do I show up better for this person? Mm -hmm. So I told you, you know, one of the first things I wanted to ask you is like, where do you think a lot of people may have some misconceptions or misunderstandings about anxiety? Um, I wonder if you've given that some thought. Yeah, I have. And it's a really, really good question. Um, I think the the difficulty with anxiety, if if you don't experience it, is you hear it from a rational place and you're hearing irrational language, irrational, seeing irrational behaviours. And I'm doing that in quote marks um, from a place of rationality and logic. And that that mismatch just is it just doesn't make sense to the the brain when it's like hang on a minute you're doing this you know so you're not going out the house because you're scared of x y and z yet that has never happened to you has never happened in your area and is never likely to happen to you and so when we look at it from a rational place we lose the person who's experiencing anxiety we've lost them straight away because they are not in a space of rational thinking they're in a space of fear. And when we're in fear, our critical thinking, our executive function shuts down. And what we're doing is we're starting to have the anxiety brain take over. And so I think that's one thing. Yeah. And when we're having basically a conversation between two people speaking a different language, rational and anxiety, 
there's a lot of miscommunication that takes place Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of emotions happen and a lot of fights kick off and you know uh, miscommunication yeah there's a whole relationship dynamic that ensues um you know person a may have some anxiety person b thinks well here's a person a just needs to chill right person a just needs to chill i'm gonna tell person a you know you need to chill yeah. And, and then when person A doesn't receive that well, person B is so offended and yeah. so annoyed and resentful. Well, I told person A to chill. They didn't chill. So what do you want me to do? Um, and, and a lot of really interesting relationships, dyna- excuse me, relationship dynamics ensue when one person has a fundamental misunderstanding about what is happening and you're right now we're not even communicating clearly absolutely we're not communicating the same language we're not communicating emotionally physically together um you know and I can give you an example if it would be helpful yeah and I think let's use more of the most recent times of COVID um to to highlight this conversation so I as I said was in this the clinically extremely vulnerable group and the first day I went out uh into the park with the dog um I was there and this um I was very anxious because at the time we didn't know if it was airborne we didn't know if how close people could get because of my health disease you know all the consultants if you get COVID you're going to die but you know it's really unlikely that we'll be able to keep you alive really early stages and so I was in this heightened hypervigilant panicky state trying to enjoy the woodlands and there's this runner and I can hear him you know because I'm all anxious I'm all hyper vigilant I can hear him running down the woods behind me and the person I'm with we're just chatting and I'm already not listening to what they're saying because I can hear the footsteps and so I start to think what do I do what do I do what do I do and I say to the person that I'm with they're running, they're running, they're running towards me. What do I do? What do I do? And they were like, well, just move to the side. And I was like, but I don't want them to go behind. I don't want them to come near me. And we're on this narrow path. Um, And so I'm getting myself all wound up. And in my head, there's loads of thoughts going on, loads of images, you know, of ventilators and the news and headlines. And I turn to, I turn around to the man who's really at quite a distance. And logically now as well, with hindsight, we know a lot more about covid and I said I'm in the cv group would you mind just stepping back you know like some crazy lunatic and he had his headphones on and didn't hear me and he just went running straight by sweating and breathing and coughing all over me and I just absolutely had a a meltdown and the person I was with was going look it's all right it's nothing's going to happen from this don't worry about it and I'm going you don't know you don't know you don't know how this is going to affect me and they're going, he was just running, just it's not his fault. And I was, just, you know, swearing about the guy and felt really violated in my space. And, and the person's with me going, look, you just need to calm down, Kendall, just calm down, just, just chill out. And I got so angry. And so I turned all this energy of frustration and anger. And I'm not a shouty person. I'm pretty relaxed. And I really lost my temper. I got very cross and was like, you have no idea how difficult this is for me. And I started crying and ah, oh, lots of things came out of that. And 
what really happened when we sat down and spoke about it a few days later, and I apologized profusely, you know, the, the person I was with was really just saying, I was just trying to make you feel better. I was trying to reassure you. I was trying to tell you things were okay. And, and it was, look, you're all right. And what I was saying was, you didn't understand that I was utterly petrified for my life in that moment. And I kind of needed you on my side, not to be against me. And when somebody is telling you to minimize your feelings, they're basically saying, what you're telling me isn't the truth. It doesn't matter. I'm not, you know, I'm undermining you and I'm not with you. And when you're frightened for your life, which is what anxiety can make you feel, you don't want to be alone. Um, and and that's, that's part of the example that, you know, I don't know if that's helpful just to explain it. Yeah, I think it is because, you know, I, I said a lot of folks who may have some misunderstanding, they're, they're of course well-meaning. They're like your friend who you were with who was just trying to make things better and they may think, oh, here's a person who's just a little escalated who yeah. needs to chill out. Yeah. And I will, I will tell them, why don't you chill out? And it, and it is coming from a place of, I care about you and I don't want you to be this way. I want to help you. And yet for the person who's living in a nearly constant state of emergency, what they might be needing more than uh, than opposition is, is a sense of safety and security, which you can get from a friend who says, I understand that you're right now in a state of emergency. Yes, that's exactly right. Just come, come, come into my space, soothe me, help me feel safe. Um, in that moment, that's in the crisis moment. It doesn't mean that in time and in the right way, you can't as a friend introduce other ideas, other perspectives. Mm -hmm. But when we're in that crisis stage, there's no rational thinking. Just just take it out. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking you just said, soothe me. And I'll bet, I'll bet there are going to be listeners who find this confusing. They're going to be like, but your friend was trying to soothe you. So like, so I think we need to be really clear. Like it's not soothing when a friend says, relax, that's not soothing. No, no. <laughs> Calm no. down, calm down. And like, like, you know, shaking a person saying, you just need to chill. This is not soothing. Um, arguing with an anxious person is not soothing. Telling yeah. them they're irrational is not soothing. Um, what do you yeah. think might be more soothing than all those things? <laughs> it's again it's a really good question isn't it and everybody is soothed in a different way and this is why as well it's about having those curious conversations that when you're anxious when you're in your heightened state tell me what you need well before you're in it don't ask me while I'm in it because then I can't tell you anything I'm just going to scream at you but tell me what you need tell me what would be the most helpful in a crisis and anxiety situation so first of all being curious about it now what we tend to know is there are certain things that physiologically can support somebody to move away from the anxiety or to be soothed and when we're talking about soothed we're talking about moving away from the survival anxious brain and into that more settled grounded calmer more rational big picture thinking 
And so certain things like, as we know, soothing breathing, putting your hand on your heart, they can help people. Sometimes distractions can help people, but sometimes actually distractions in the end for long-term anxiety can become more harmful, but we'll talk Mm. about that in a bit. In the moment, it's usually just make that person feel as connected as possible, you know, support them to have a voice, allow them to be what they need to be in that moment. They're reacting as they need to react. And don't you panic. You know, there's another way of like, the, the thing is we tend to start to panic if somebody's anxious in front of us because we're like, well, I don't know what to do and I should fix it. And you, you, that, you know, again, just slow it down. Just try and slow things down. Breathing, walking, drinking water. There's other things that you can do. Put your hand in cold water, put your hand in ice um, to bring the body out. But everybody's different. And it's supporting that person to explore what's your thing. You, the the listeners can't see what I did, but you, you saw me point at you when you said, don't panic. I, I honestly, I think of all the things you said, that's my favorite because, because I think a lot of helpers out there, friends and family members want to believe that they can make another person's anxiety go away. Yeah, um, they, they want to believe that. And you know what? I, I get it. That's a nice thought. You, you want to be that parent who can make your child's anxiety go away. You yeah. want to be the spouse who can make your other, your spouse's anxiety go away. I, I understand the desire to want to fix other people's anxiety. But when we accept that we can't and we just manage ourselves, then we can actually get a lot further. So if I'm out with you, Kendall, we're walking around and you end up having a lot of anxiety, the thought in my head might be, I can't fix Kendall's anxiety, but I can manage me. That's mm-hmm. within my control. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to make the conscious effort to not panic, to not escalate this, that if I remain calm, that's probably going to go pretty far here. Even if Kendall ends up yelling at me or upset with me, if I can remain calm, everybody is much better off. And um, so sometimes what you can do to be a helpful person is, is in what you're not doing, like not freaking out. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and what's interesting about this is almost the helper is going into an anxious response. They're going into a trauma response. They're going into a response of, I'm seeing your discomfort. That's making me anxious because now I feel like I either have to fix you or I feel like I'm failing. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, then I'm going to start trying all of these strategies and I become the anxious person too, you know? And there's this saying about that sometimes help is just the sunny side of control. Ooh, oh, I'm gonna write this down. Help is the sunny side of control. And that's it. Sometimes the helper doesn't even realize that this is their anxiety taking over. I'm just trying to help. I'm just, I was just trying to help you. I was, you know, and actually this is me not being comfortable in my discomfort that you're uncomfortable and knock on effect happens. All of it. I mean, if I'm being honest, it's actually what inspired this episode. Cause I, I, you know, I had posted on Facebook. I think I want to do some stuff on anxiety and what, what inspired that was exactly what you're describing. 
um, happened. A, a friend of mine called me and said, doctor said, my daughter has anxiety. I don't know what to do about my daughter's anxiety. I tried to do this and I tried to do this and I tried to do this and I'm trying to help her, but nothing's working. And I was like, so your daughter has anxiety. (laughs) And all I could think was friend on the phone. OMG. Sure. Sounds like you're the one with anxiety. And this person was just like spiraling about what do I do about my daughter's anxiety? And I thought, um, I don't know how to hold a mirror up to your face right now, but just, just please like feel your heart racing. Do you feel your heart racing? Um, and so anyway, to the listeners, if, if you are that soul who is just so desperately trying to help another person who has anxiety, manage your own <laughs> and 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 be that I, I think yeah it's manage your own it, notice your own just notice what because actually often we don't even know what anxiety is um, a lot of people will say to me it's just the way I am Kendall it's just the way it's who I am and we in you know in the psychology field it, we, we remind people that our thoughts are not facts and so when we're working with people and they, but they're still in that space where they believe their thoughts are facts. It's just the way I am. I'm just an angry person. I'm just an anxious person. Whereas actually, if you understand the brain, the brain isn't a fixed entity. It can change. It's a muscle. It needs training just like the rest of our bodies. And it takes work and it does, but it means that it can change. So, you know, I used to have dreadful panic attacks when I was a teenager dreadful dreadful panic attacks and similar situation you know my mum had anxiety my gran had anxiety my we all have anxiety and I remember thinking at the time if I have children I don't want them to have anxiety and I need to change it and I went to a phenomenal CBT therapist and did two years of intensive CBT work and you know touch wood haven't had an anxiety attack for a long time now and although I'll still get you know traits of them I've never had them like I used to have them and the 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 point really there is recognizing that it is anxiety and that you can change but it does take work and and that that's also being gentle with people there's this isn't just a switch that you can say well don't think like that you know, just stop thinking like that. Don't be anxious. Just, well, why, why have you got that irrational phobia about wasps or, you know, bees or buttons? Just get over it. That isn't how the brain works. The brain has, for whatever reason, um, hooked on to a thought pattern. And it needs to be trained that there's another way. Yeah. Yeah. And that it is possible. I think you know, yeah. um, I think that hope that you're offering is going to be pretty key because who wants to listen to a podcast about how dreadful the world is and how we can't really help anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what not to do. Yeah. That hope is really key. Um, I think we've, you know, we've said a couple of important things. One is that even though there may be nothing you can say to a person right in a moment, that's going to cure their anxiety, 
anxiety can change. Your brain can change with some training, with some work over time. So that hope is important. Mm-hmm. Um, also acknowledging that so many of the things we're trying to do to be helpful end up amping up our own anxiety in the moment where we feel like we're failing a person we care about. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if one of the most helpful things we can do is to say to a person who's going through anxiety, you know, you're, you're still okay with me. Like you're, you're still welcome in my life. Even if you have to cancel plans at the last minute, even if you have to, um, sometimes change direction in the park to avoid the runner who's coming. Um, You're still welcome here. You're still okay with me. Even if I get it wrong and you let me know that I got it wrong, you're still okay with me. Um, That there's space for you and your anxiety in my life, I think is a, an incredibly loving thing to say to someone who you care about. Oh, you're so right. I think that is one of the most powerful and compassionate acts that you can provide anybody that you care about, anybody that you meet, anybody that you love. Because when people experience anxiety, it's usually coupled with shame. It's really, uh, and shame is such a toxic, horrible emotion to experience, and it's crippling in many ways. And so people start to withdraw, they start to hide themselves, they start to, you know, whatever. And you're right, if you can just turn around to somebody and say, I love you, I accept you for all that you are. Mm -hmm. And that includes the fact that you have panic attacks and anxiety, and I I still want you to keep trying. And it goes the same, really, with, you know, having a health disability. I'm somebody that has to cancel plans last minute because I can become very ill very quickly. And it's taken me years and I'm still not there yet. There's still a, a, you know, a navigation and constant negotiation that I have to do with myself and through therapeutic work as well. But it's very horrible to feel that you're letting people down and even worse so with the stigma attached to anxiety sometimes. But ultimately, it's an illness or it can be seen as as a a, a mental health condition. It's certainly the brain taking charge and steering that shit for a while. uh, and, And that can be really frightening. And if your friends can turn around and say, I got you. Mm-hmm. What, how, what, however you show up and if you need to leave after five minutes after two seconds if you need to phone me at the door and go I can't do it I got you I'll be here opening the door next time when you are ready yeah yeah and I don't have to ask questions if you don't want me to I don't yeah. need an explanation um I fix it yeah, I I won't stop inviting you to things unless you want me to stop inviting you. But I think that's a concern for folks who cancel a lot. They might say, I don't want them to stop inviting me. I don't, I don't want the invitations to stop just because I have to cancel so often. And I've said to folks, I know, I know you cancel a lot and I will keep inviting you because I want you to know that you're, you're still valuable, you know, even if you're, 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 you're fighting some fight that I don't know much about. It's okay. I don't even have to know about it. I can like you without knowing all about it. Um, I think this is a much more helpful message than 
I'm trying to fix you, <laughs> right? Like when we're, when we constantly send the message, well, I tried this and I tried this and I tried this and there's just nothing that will fix you. That's an inherently shameful message. It's like, there's something wrong with you and I can't get you to be right. And I'm just going to keep trying to fix what's wrong with you. And I think a lot of us don't take the time to consider that there's another option, which is like, there's, I'm not going to fix you. I'm just going to love you. And yeah. you know, you're, there's space for you and whatever else comes along with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, in, in that, it's also okay to say, hey, you know, if you ever want to have a conversation about options or, you know, things that I may have heard of that help people, you know, you can always come to me, but I'm going to let you decide whether that's right for you. And you open the door and you say you're welcome to come in at any point. Rather than going, you should go to the doctor, you should do this. Well, why don't you try that? Why don't you try that? You know, my friend did this and that really helped because I guarantee you that people with anxiety have thought about not having anxiety. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't think you're kidding when you say that, but it just strikes me as funny. I know. Yeah, that, that people with anxiety have considered not having it. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but on that level, weirdly, well, not weirdly, but it makes sense that the energy that goes into being an anxious person is really frightening if you think about life without it. It's almost like you feel like a balloon that's not anchored. I often get this sense that people feel like people with anxiety are just doing this to bother me, right? Like, like, oh, well, she says she's too nervous to go, you know, and they roll their eyes. Like, can you believe I have to deal with this, Kate? I have to deal with this. And I, I hear people talk about how inconvenienced they are by other people's anxiety and how I wish these people would just kind of get themselves together. And you know, maybe another point for us to make before we wrap up here is just that pe- people don't have anxiety to bother you, right? Like they, <laughs> um, very often folks with anxiety are suffering. But when people say to me, can you believe my daughter is always having anxiety every time we need to, we want to go on vacation? I say to them, I'll, I'll bet your daughter would prefer not to suffer in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, you're spot on. It's reminding ourselves of what's our reaction to somebody else's discomfort. Um, It's reminding ourselves that we struggle with other people's pain and suffering. And that causes our own anxiety. Um, And I think that's a really nice way, yeah, to finish is to recognize that somebody who's in an anxious space, they are acutely aware of how this is influencing their relationships around them, even if it's up some, you know, subconscious or unconscious and they're not there yet. And like you say, it's about not increasing shame. It's about saying, I love you. I'm with you. I support you. And when you're ready to get help, I'm sure you will. Or I have faith that you will. And know that help is out there who has a lot of anxiety and it comes out in some unpleasant ways sometimes and I I can recall this friend saying to me why do you still like me Kate 
why, why do you, why do you even still hang out with me? And this friend is, is remembering times that they've mistreated me in, in moments of anxiety. And I've just consistently said to my friend, like, I see you as someone who is, is battling something mm-hmm. and you deserve a battle buddy. You deserve somebody with you in this battle. And I'm just so grateful and impressed that you haven't given up the fight. Um, that I, 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 it never occurred to me to stop being your friend. But I, I have heard that from people who can't believe someone has stayed with them through this. Um, and so, you know, I, I say that to the audience because Kendall, this audience is the friends and family members, right? Mm-hmm. And to all the friends and family members out there who know someone who deals with anxiety, you know, I'm just, I'm asking you not to quit on them when they cancel plans on you. They, they may say things they don't mean sometimes. They might have to stop and sit down and have a cry at a time when you don't really want to stop and sit down and have a cry. Um, but that person isn't doing it to, to be cruel to you. And probably what that person is letting you know is that they're, they're in a struggle and anyone in a struggle could use a better friend, not one who says, get yourself together or I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, isn't it interesting? My brain goes into different places here, Kate, when you talk about that, because I come at it from many different angles. I come at it from the angle of the person who's experiencing anxiety. And because of the person that you are, and you are so compassionate and loving, and, you know, many of your audience will be the same, we, you know, or want to step into that space. Absolutely. Compassion is key. Compassion is utterly key. There are behaviors that still are not justified. Mm. And those behaviors can become abusive or toxic. um, And somebody might enter into those behaviors through being triggered from anxiety. And the, you know, we as people around those individuals equally need to know what's our boundaries of safety. And when we're going into the anxious response of fawning, um, so fawning being like, I'm going to take care of you and get you safe so that then I'm safe and put myself in harmful situations. When somebody's in an anxious state and they're starting to behave in an erratic way that is harmful, you're, it's also okay for you to say, I'm just going to step out. You're in a really bad space right now and it's actually becoming harmful to me. And I'm just going to step back. But when I come back and you've settled and I've settled, I'm still going to hold you. I'm still going to love you. It's, it, there's a difference between compassion and justification. Yeah. Um, and just I just want to highlight that. It's okay to step away when it's harmful and to step back when you feel that it's appropriate or not. And, I, and I'm so glad that you added that because I think I gave maybe the, a too short version of the story. You know, it was... It was when I had stepped back in with this friend that they said, why are you stepping back in? Like, what, why are you coming back to this? And I said, I stepped back when I needed to, and I'm stepping back in because, you know, I, I, I see, I see what you're up against and I see that you're trying so hard. And I want you to know that like, you're, you're, you're doing, you're doing what you need to do. 
And that's where your skill set and your wisdom comes in. And often when I'm working with families, it's about really establishing safe boundaries for everybody. What are the boundaries for the person who's experiencing anxiety? Um, But what are your boundaries? What's theirs? What's yours? You know, and really highlighting that's theirs, that's yours. It's their duty of care to um, or responsibility or choice and sense of autonomy to get help or not get help. Mm-hmm. And it's your autonomy, choice, duty of care to try and keep them safe, like, you know, from big things. If you need to access help, then do uh, critical help. But equally, it's your boundaries to say, OK, I can give you this, but I can't give you that. Yeah, I can accept this. I can't accept that. And notice what's yours. I don't know if I explained that very clearly, but hopefully boundaries are key. Yeah, I, I think you did. And I, I think. Um, you know, it's where I think folks need some practice because they might, they might think I'm laughing because sometimes it's so funny the way people misinterpret boundaries. They might think they're setting boundaries when they shake a person and say, get yourself together. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, no, that's not it. That's not what we mean. Um, and so it's probably more than we can cover in this episode, you know, we're absolutely but you're right. There's a difference between saying calmly, this is what I will accept. And this is what I will not accept calmly Yeah. yeah. versus you need to do this because I'm not going to put up with that. That's not calm. That is no. agitating the whole thing. You are doing more than setting boundaries. You are, you're, you're, you're having a scene. <laughs> yes. You're having a scene and you're trying to control. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Brené Brown, I think it is, you know, one of my heroes, as, as she is for, for a lot of people I know, but she talks about, and I'm going to completely bastardize her right now, but the idea of boundaries is that I can take care of somebody else while also taking care of myself or loving myself. And that's really important. And sometimes when you have somebody who is in an anxious state, all of their energy is going into their anxiety and then all of your energy goes into their anxiety and actually it's just let's notice where this pat these patterns are existing and and how to just gently it's all just about let's just be let's just be gentle and take a step out of this and see what's happening and what i need and what they need yeah I know we could speak for hours on this, but um, only you and I would want to listen to this for hours. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, you know, it's absolutely true. And you're not very well. So you need to go and rest your throat. Here here I am being protective mother role here. The mother's coming out. It's okay. I do do think that's a good idea for me. I'm going to, um, I can't believe this. The American in me is going to say to the, the Brit in you, I think I'll have some tea. Wow, that is, you're ill. You're very, very poorly. Did you just fall out of your chair?
that day I live in a dream.